Good morning, church. We are obviously in the book of 1 Peter, our sermon series, Hardship, Holiness, and Hope. Anybody facing any hardships these days? That's a no-brainer, isn't it? But in Christ, we have hope, don't we? We have hope. We have something that transcends us beyond this life and this, this world. And if you're like me, often you are left just saying, where would I be without that hope? If my hope was only in this life, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, we would, we would just be in despair all of the time. We definitely wouldn't be holy. We wouldn't be that middle word, holy. Our sermon today, we are exiled priests doing good. From 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 through 17, that Ben just read for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, find it, if you haven't already, find 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 11. We might, we might back up a little bit and get a little bit of a running start. Peter allows us to wrestle with the biggest questions that life has to offer. Who are we and how do we live? That, that's, what every, that's what every human being is, is asking, aren't they? Who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? How am I supposed to live? And Peter is going to give us practical answers to these questions. As Christians, who are we and how do we live? Do we live in isolation are we, are we meant to seclude ourselves away from the world? Or are we meant to engage the world, engage the culture around us? And before we get into today's sermon, I want to do a little bit of cultural background with you. Okay, The risk here is, is that I lose a lot of you, we get off into the weeds a little too far, and I lose some of you. But I think if we can understand the culture into which Peter is speaking, it might actually help us a little bit. The culture in Peter's day in the first century is what we call an honor-shame culture. There are people with honor, and there are people without honor. There are people that people look at and say, wow, I wish I was like them. Honor, and then there's there's people that are shamed. So a slave would be low honor, shame. But an emperor, a king, a governor, high honor. Someone who's wealthy, high honor. In this system, you have these relationships called patron-client relationships. So the patron, he's the he's the one with the honor. If you're the one without the honor. You attach yourself as his client or her client. And so hopefully some of their honor kind of schmoozes off onto you, right? You become his posse. Wherever he goes, you kind of follow. Whatever he does, you say, oh, wow, that was amazing. Like, have you ever seen Beauty and the Beast with, with uh, Gaston and then LeFew? And LeFew is just kind of always with him, kind of like, oh, LeFew's awesome. He even sings a whole big song about it. Patron-client. Patron-client. So, the person with all the honor, and then the person without the honor, the client, who's, who's trying to, to gain some of the scraps, so to speak. Okay? And so, when the patron 
bestows honor upon the client, that's called benefaction. You become the benefactor. It might be literally by giving money or by giving a job or a position, something like that. Or you might be a benefactor by, by building, building a coliseum or, or building an arena in a city and then all the, all the peasants, they're like, oh, that guy's amazing. He built us this cool coliseum. So benefaction or doing good. Doing good. So in, in Peter, in the New Testament, we hear that phrase, do good, do good, do good. So within the culture, that's the idea of benefaction. Words like grace and faith that we, that we use all the time as Christians, those are actually cultural words. The patron shows grace to the client through gifts, and the client shows grace to the patron through gratitude, through praise. They are linked together in a relationship of faith and faithfulness. I trust you, O patron. And then the patron says, I trust that you guys are going to build me up. Right? You're going to vote for me when it, be, when it comes time to vote, or you're going to say nice things about me. That's the culture into which Peter is writing. And the more we can understand it a little bit, when we start reading some of the language that he uses, oh, now it makes sense. So even, even 2 verse 17, how he kind of end, ends this little section, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Peter is using the language of the culture, but he's also twisting it and he's, and he's, he's spilling it over on its head. Honor everyone? No, I honor the patrons. I don't honor everyone. There are some people that are just meant to be shamed. No, honor everyone. Oh, well, then I, then I reject the emperor. I don't honor him because Nero, he's a bad guy. No, honor him too. Honor the emperor, honor everyone. Put everyone on an equal footing. How do we do that? Fear of God. Love of brothers. Okay, so that's, where, that's what we're going to try to understand today. Peter is writing to Christians who in their culture, they are down here in shame world. They're living in shame world. Everybody looks down on them. And, and, and he talks about it in this text, doesn't he? They're going to accuse you of being evil, Christians. They're going to shame you. And Peter is saying to them, listen, the temptation is going to be, when you, when you are put to shame, the temptation is going to be to snatch honor in any way you can get it. And in Peter's day, the way you got honor was you either, you, you did something to belittle somebody else. You put someone else to shame in order to gain honor for yourself. That was one way that you could gain honor. And the other way you could gain honor was by doing good. By doing good. So you can either be really mean and gain honor, or you can be really good and gain honor. Both could work. Peter's trying to show them a new way. First, by telling them who they are. What is our identity in the world? We're going to look at three questions today. The first one, what is our identity in the world? Who are we? 
And here's what Peter is showing them. We are honored by God. We are honored by God. And we, if we, we got to back up in the text a little bit to see it. If you guys don't mind, let's go backwards. Look at verse 9. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. You, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, holy nation, people of God's own possession. You see what Peter's saying to them? He's saying, look, I get it. Everybody around you is shaming you. But listen, you are not shamed. You are honored. And you are honored by God. You are God's people. He re- you know, a few verses before this, he redeemed you with the precious blood of Christ. That's who you are. You're not shamed. The world might tell you you're shamed, Christian, but you are not in shame. You are in honor. So let's live as those that live in honor, that have been honored by God. Verse 11, beloved, we are loved. Yes, it's true. Verse 11, we are sojourners and exiles. That's true. That's true. And that's, that can sound like shame. No country, no home, no place to lay your head. We are exiles. Church, we are sojourners and exiles, aren't we? But we are priestly exiles. We are royal exiles. We are prophetic exiles. We are exiles like Abraham was an exile. Abraham, Genesis 23, used this language. Living in the promised land that God gave to him when he went to go by land to bury his wife. And he met with the Hittites, he said, I am a sojourner and an exile in this land. He embraced that identity, didn't he? Hebrews says it's because he looked forward to a, to a future city, a glorious heavenly city. Do you? Do I? And we must be holy in all that we do. We are to be holy. We are honored by God and therefore we must be holy in all that we do. That's the theme that Peter keeps stressing in this book. We, verse 11, we reject the passions of the flesh. We abstain from the passions of the flesh. Verse 12, we are honorable. Our conduct is honorable among the Gentiles. Do you see that? We are holy. We are holy. We are not only against, verse 11, we are against the passions of the flesh, but we are also for, we are for honor. We are for honoring everyone. May we never be a church that's only defined by what we're against. We need to be against some stuff, don't we? No doubt, we need to be against some stuff. But we also need to be for. We need to be pro-honor, pro-lifting people up, pro-helping people, pro-exalting others. We must do this by being holy in all that we do. We are different, and yet we are involved. We are separate, and yet we are engaging, just like God. Personal holiness, corporate holiness. Holiness in deed, holiness in word. Holiness, we talk about, um, we talk about sexuality a lot around here, but, but we need to be challenged to remember that we need to be holy in all that we do in every area of self-expression, online, in person. All demands holiness, doesn't it? Business world, consumer, what we, what we consume, consumerism, media. We need to remember 
that we must be holy in all that we say and do. And so, we are exiled priests doing good. That is our identity. Christian, that is your identity. Have you embraced this identity? I pray that you have. Maybe you're listening to me and you're not a Christian. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Listen, there's two ways to live your life. The Bible says there's two ways to live your life. You can live your life for yourself, for your own agenda, for your own kingdom, and, and, and your own glory, and your own honor. <clears throat> and you can do that. You can do that. But trust me, in this life, it will let you down. And in the next life, oh my goodness, your constant rejection of your Creator will lead to His rejection of you on the Day of Judgment. But God, in His great love and mercy, He offers us a totally different way to live. A way that says, I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm not going to live to exalt myself and honor myself and build my own kingdom. I'm going to live from the grace and mercy of, of God through His salvation, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through His gift of salvation. It's our prayer that you embrace that gift, that life, that way of life through this person. Not by being good. Pastor Andrew said it. We don't do good works in order to earn anything or get brownie points with God or get little gold stickers on our foreheads. We don't do that. We do it because God has already given us everything. We be what we are. Number two, how should we respond to evil in this world then? We're honored by God. We're called to holiness. So what does it look like? How do we respond to the evil that's around us? And listen, this church, these Christians that Peter's writing to, they, they were, and they're and it's about to get worse. They are abused and they are accused. Look at verse 12. He doesn't say, if, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that if they speak against you, that's not the word, is it? When they speak against you, as evildoers. Christian, if you haven't faced this yet, you will. Or, or you, if you have never faced any, um, any negative response from the world, maybe my question is, are you, do you look like a Christian? Right? Because if nobody has ever given you a hard time about what you believe, maybe they don't know what you believe. When they speak against you as evildoers, the great Roman historian Tacitus, who wrote the Annals, book 15, he talks about Nero, Nero's reign. That's this time. It's actually a very important secular work because he's, he's one of the, the secular historians who mentions Christ. But he talks about Christians and what he writes, Tacitus does. He says that Christianity was an evil superstition. He says that Christians were hated for their vices. Christian, Mark, Mark, Pastor Mark mentioned this last week. Christians were called atheists. Christians were called cannibals because they ate the body of Jesus. A, mi a misunderstanding of our beliefs allowed people to question and accuse and call names of the Christians. He records that Nero, when Rome burned, 
Nero blamed the Christians, and he, and he said, the Christians, they are... And what do we do about that? First of all, we place our hope in Christ, not in the things of this world. This is, this is, our, this is foundational. This is the foundational truth that we place our hope in Jesus, not in politics, not in educational systems, not in activism, not in social justice. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The end. Period. The end. We must learn to hope in Christ. He is our living hope, our ultimate hope. And only He can fix the world. And He will. And he will. We also abstain from worldly passions without abandoning the world. We abstain from worldly passions without abandoning the world. Look again at verse 11. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to isolate yourselves, to move into the woods, to become hermits. Does it say that? No. It doesn't say that. But it does say this. It does say, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. To abstain from the passions of the flesh. Fleshly desires versus holy conduct. That's the contrast that Peter's setting up for us. That's the war. He calls it the war. They wage war against your soul. Christian, listen to me. The battle is in your soul. Well, what's my soul? That, that your soul is that part of you that thinks and feels and chooses. It's either controlled by the spirit, which is deeper in you, or the flesh. But the soul is where the spirit and the Galatians 5, the spirit and the flesh are battling, duking it out inside every Christian. Christian, did you know there's a war happening, raging inside of you even right now? Some of you, even right now as I'm preaching, you're resisting what I'm saying. Or you're thinking about everybody else who needs to hear this sermon. That's the battle of the flesh in your soul. Listen, isolationism, separation, separatism is never the solution. You know why? Because however far you try to go away from all the bad, the bad pagan unbelievers, guess who you take with you? You! You take your soul with you! And the battle is not with the culture, the battle is in your soul. Oh, I gotta get my kids out of that. I gotta get my kids out of that environment. They're gonna be influenced by all those bad kids. No! Teach your child to recognize the desires of his or her soul and to battle them with grace. That's what Christians do. They don't flee. They don't run away. They don't isolate. They don't separate from, from the world. We resist evil and do good. We place our hope in Christ. We abstain from worldly passions without abandoning the world. We resist evil and do good. We resist evil and do good.
there's, mere neutrality is never allowed in the Christian ethic. Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, James, none of them said, just don't do anything bad. No, they said, don't do, don't do evil, but also do good. Golden rule. Do unto others what you would want done to you. Do you understand how radical that is? Nobody had ever said anything like that before Jesus said it. Everybody else just said, just don't, just don't be mean to other people. Just don't be bad. But do good to others? That's a whole other level, isn't it? That's a whole other level. Most of us in this room are really good about, <clears throat> about not being evil. We've mastered don't be evil. But have we mastered do good? Do good. My neighbor, he's obnoxious. I just ignore him. My boss, can't stand, that, can't stand her. So... I just, you know, kind of passive-aggressively, you know, nod and smile, and then do what I want. I'm just not making any waves. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go to Thanksgiving, and I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. As long as I just don't make any waves. That's not doing good. That's not doing good. Resist evil, do good. This is radical. What Peter is saying is radical. He's basically saying, do good to the same people who speak evil against you. Do you see it in verse 12? They're going to speak evil against you. What do you do? Do good. Do good to them. It's love your enemy, folks. It's love your enemy. It's everything Jesus taught us. Honorable conduct, good deeds, benefaction. Here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, look, I get it. In this culture, you're the shamed ones. You're the ones who want, need to attach to a, to a patron in order to get some trickles of honor, some scraps of honor. Peter's saying, no, Christian, you are honored by God. Therefore, give honor. Do good. You're the patron. You're not the client. You're the patron. You have all the honor in the universe from the honor-giving God. So share it. Share it. But Brady, why do I do good if the world is just going to get worse and worse? Aren't we just spinning in entropy to the world exploding and then Jesus finally fixing it? If the world's just going to get worse and worse, why do I do good? First of all, I do believe that we should do good for goodness sake. God is good. To image God and reflect God, we do good. Regardless of whether the world receives it, likes it, accepts it, we do good. Why? Because good is good. It's the ultimate. Do the ultimate. And also, because good can be a witness for Christ, can it? Look at verse 12. That they may see, the end of verse 12, they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify God on the day of visitation. The people who are seeing the good deeds from you, they may end up glorifying God when He comes back, when Jesus returns. Our good can be a door to someone's soul being saved, can it? 
And listen, here's the thing. Sometimes as the world around us, the, wor- the culture around us gets worse and worse, more and more evil, that's actually, if you look at history, that's actually when you see more genuine conversions. It's going to happen in Rome. It's going to happen in the Roman Empire. As Nero gets more and more psychotic and starts uh, crucifying and terrifying the Christians and Diocletian after him, guess what's going to happen to the church? It's going to grow. It's going to grow. What if that's what America is sitting on? What if that's what Bowie is sitting on? Number three, how do we do good in the world? How do we do good in the world? First of all, the what? We honor our neighbors and we honor those in authority. We honor our neighbors, we honor everyone, or we honor the Gentiles, as he says. What does that mean, Brady? What does it mean to honor? It means to give, to share, to help, to uplift, to do all the good you can, by all the means you can, whenever you can. We honor those in authority, he goes on to say. Verses 13 and 14. Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, the emperor, or, verse 14, to governors. Human institution, that's a very interesting phrase. It literally says, to every human creature. Why did he use that word? Why did Peter say, honor, show honor, be subject to every human creature in the context of government? Because he wants us to remember two things. If the emperor, if the king, if the president, if the governor, if the mayor is a creature, if they are a creation of God, number one, honor them as the imago Dei. Honor them as the image of God. Number two, do not worship them. They are only a creature. Honor them. Do not worship them. That's the Christian ethic in regard to government. We, we forsake emperor worship. You say, well, of course, Brady, we don't, we don't worship our government. Ah, or do we? When we place our hope in our government, we are therefore worshiping our government, aren't we? So we got to dig deep on this thing. We got to dig deep into our hearts and ask, okay, what's going on? The why. Why do we do this? Why do we honor our neighbors and honor our, our government? Because, verse 15, it's God's will. (laughs) The end of sermon, right? It should just end right there. It's God's will. This is what you were made for. This is why God created you. This is what God wants. This is what God wants out of you. Too many Christians are scratching their head going, I wish I knew God's will for my life. Uh, Honor your neighbor, honor the government. That's God's will for your life. When you master that, come back and see me, I'll give you the next one. It is God's will, and then also verse 15, it silences our enemies. Look at 15 with me. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Wow. How do we silence our critics? The the very critics that are trying to shame us by calling us evil, by calling us haters of humanity. How do we silence them? With lofty arguments? 
with great apologetics, with, with glamorous worship services, or by doing good? By doing good. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. And a lot of you have lived this. A lot of you have lived scenarios in your life where somebody you know, someone you work with, someone who's a friend, someone in the neighborhood has said, I don't know about those Christians, I don't know about those Christians, but you, I trust you. You've been good to me. You were there for my family. You let me borrow your tools. You, you helped me fix my sink. You brought me a meal. So if that's what a Christian is, then let's talk about it. In chapter 3, verse 15, Peter's going to say, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. So I'm not anti-apologetics. That's literally the word. Always be ready to have an apologetic for the hope that is in you. But, but understand that the doing good and the apologetic have to go hand in hand, don't they? They've got to go hand in hand. Why do we do this? What do we do? We honor our neighbor. We honor the government. Why? Because it's God's will and it silences our enemies. How? What's the how beneath the how? Okay, Brady, how do I actually like, find it in my heart to do this? First of all, the fear of God. And second of all, freedom in Christ. Fear of God, freedom in Christ. We cannot do this without a fear of God, without an understanding of who God is, an understanding of His grace. You see, only God is good. When, when the preacher stands up and starts looking at you and saying, do good, do good, do good, we got to back this truck up a second, don't we? Only God is good. Jesus said that. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Of course, He was God, so... God is good. Therefore, church, Christian, any good that we do can only be good if it flows from the character of God, the grace of God. See, as soon as, like Pastor Andrew was saying, as soon as you are doing good to earn, as soon as you are doing good to achieve, as soon as you are doing good to perform, as soon as you are doing good to, to, to gain honor for the self, it ceases to be good. Because now it is actually in violation of God's grace. But the Christian actually has the ability to do pure-hearted good works. Why? Because we have faith. Faith in what? Faith in the grace of God. Faith that God has already honored us. We're not earning honor. We're not gaining honor. We already got it. Therefore, everything we do flows back to God as praise, and therefore it is good. How can this happen? Only when we embrace freedom in Christ. Only in Christ. How do we have the goodness of God in us? Only in Christ. Only in Jesus. It is Jesus who was good. It is Jesus who went around doing good, Acts 10. It is Jesus who never sinned. It is Jesus who was righteous. It is Jesus who was holy. It is Jesus who died. It is Jesus who gave his life 
in exchange for yours and for mine. And now, by His grace, we receive His goodness. And when I live in that freedom, when I live in the freedom of knowing that I am full, that I am honored, that I am exalted, in that freedom, I can become the servant. In that fullness, I can empty. Philippians 2. Jesus, who knew He was God knew he didn't have to fight to maintain his God status, did what? He emptied himself and took upon the form of a servant and became obedient even to death. Let's go lower, let's go lower, even death on a cross. Where are you in that process? Where are you in that process? Have you embraced your fullness Have you embraced the honor that God has given you so that now you can empty yourself for the good of others? Have you embraced your freedom so that now in your freedom you can choose submission and sacrifice and servitude? I pray that you have. I know that you can because I know that Jesus is in you. And so you have this power inside of you. Together, May we encourage each other, encourage one another in this process. Let's pray. Father, we are coming to you as the honor giver. Only by your power, only by your mercy, have we been, have we been brought out of slavery and set free. Have we been brought out of the wilderness of selfishness and set free. Only by the precious blood of Christ have we been redeemed. And so we stand before you, God, in awe, shock, sometimes even confusion, if we're honest, at the fact that you have honored us. You have said, you have said there is no condemnation. There is no shame. Jesus despised the shame for us. So now, God, I pray for this church, your glorious bride, that we would embrace freedom and embrace the fullness that we have, not to hold on to it, not as something to be grasped, as Philippians 2 says, but as something to let go, as something to set aside so that we might empty ourselves for one another and even for those that would speak evil against us, even for government, even for the emperor. God, may we honor everyone. May we love the brotherhood. May we fear you. May we honor the emperor. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.